We are continuing on in our journey through the Psalms, through in particular the, the Psalms, the songs of ascent, the, the songs that the pilgrims, the Jewish pilgrims would have sung on their way back to the major festivals as they were approaching uh, the, the Jerusalem and the temple um, and, and just uh, the, the time that was, was being had by them as they were growing closer to God, anticipating that time of, of, of growing closer to God and also growing closer to one another as they were uh, on the road and on the journey. You know, the Jewish people are, are, were very accustomed to the struggle and the realities of life. As a matter of fact, they lived most of their time historically under kings and, and, and under rulership that really wasn't, uh, it wasn't godly, it wasn't good, it wasn't uh, necessarily um, looking out for the best interest or the benefit of the people. They've also lived out part of their time being dispersed um, in captivity, actually exiled out of Israel and taken off in captivity to, to Babylon and, 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 and then uh, the Assyrians coming in and taking over and, and kind of mixing them all up and creating a lot of struggles in the midst of their culture and their people. So these things certainly weren't something that, um, that they were not accustomed to. It begins by uh, talking about this. It says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Again, we're, we're in this, this spot where we're Look as we as we look at, at our at our psalms and we start to recognize this idea, this this consistent theme that is running through this thing, this idea that it's the trust in the Lord that's going to get us through these things. It's, it, it, it's that very thing that is going to make us to be steadfast. It's that thing that is going to help us to be immovable in our own lives. You see, everything else in our culture and everything else in the world around us is constantly shifting. It's constantly uh, in flux and, and it's moving. It's, it, it, Ecclesiastes talks about this idea of life underneath the sun and that if we pursue the things and the purposes of this world, if we pursue our own interests, if we look to the idea of, of medicine being my savior or science being my savior or technology being my savior, my bank account being my savior or some political affiliation being my savior, that the problem with that is that it's, it's like chasing smoke. It's like trying to grasp something that you can't really get a hold of. You, it, it seems to be there. It seems to have a form that we could get a hold of, but as we try to get a hold of it, it just kind of goes through our fingers. Ecclesiastes deals with this thing, and it says that in reality that the, 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 the perspective that we need to begin to have as believers is an eternal perspective, that we need to begin to have our focus be one that leads us to eternal purposes, things that are going to have lasting impacts in the world that we both live in now and also for the future, the things towards eternity. And so the, it says here that this idea that those who trust in the Lord, they're like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. And again, the mountain, it represents this idea of stability. It, it, it represents the idea of immovability, that you can't just grab that thing and move it, right? It, it, it's, it's this picture that says that we will stay steadfast. John 8, 31 and 32 tells us this, is if we abide, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So this concept of truth is one that, that our culture has, has discarded. It's discarded the idea that there is truth, that there is the place or the, the, the reality of an objective truth that we can look to. 
a place where we could say that, that God's rule and his, his opinion on all matters is supreme to ours. And so as we, uh, as we consider this and as we, we think about this, we have to realize that we have to set our trust in the Lord. James, in the book of James, it tells us that, 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 we are, that if we don't set our trust in the Lord, that we'll be like uh, the, the, the wind and the waves will just toss us to and fro all over the place, that we will be, uh, <laughs> we'll be scattered, that, that basically that, that our life will be one of double-mindedness, that we won't have a single focus, but that we'll be tossed over here and then over here. Every wind and wave of doctrine and belief and thought will just toss us this direction and then this direction. If there's one thing that we need today, probably more than any time in my lifetime, is this idea of being immovable, this place of trust. What are we trusting in? What is the church trusting in? What are we trusting in as individuals? Are we trusting in, in, in uh, humanism, the idea that somehow we're going to come up with our own solution, that somehow we're just going to get to a place where we just get better? I want to tell you that history absolutely does not paint that picture. It never has, and, and, the, and the, 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 the direction that we're headed today doesn't paint that picture either. The reality of, of living our lives apart from an objective place of truth leaves us just at a place to argue about our own opinions with one another. And at the end of the day, the only way to establish our opinion over someone else is by power. And so we're left in this spot where we're just arguing and we're struggling in this thing. But you see, the cool thing about this is that God's people can be immovable. But we have to be God's people who understand God's word. We have to be in God's word. That was the condition. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If there's any time and any place where we need to know and understand what truth is, it's today. Pretty tough to get it in the media these days, wouldn't you agree? Truth is a hard thing. It's a, it's a difficult concept, but truth runs the universe that we live in. The, the truth of the universe does not change. As a matter of fact, if you, changed, if you shifted one of the dials, one degree, life would be absolutely impossible in the universe that we live in. You see, the universe is governed by truth. That might be an indication that the God who created it is also a God of spiritual truth and reality, that maybe this God knows the best way for us to live and to be. And so our trust needs to be in him. Isaiah 26.3 says this, it says, it says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You see, the idea of trusting in God and something that is able to deliver us is equated with peace in our own hearts and our own lives. Verse 2 goes on to say this, it says, um, it says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and evermore. You see, the idea here is that these mountains are surrounding us and the mountains represent God. You see, we feel like as a people that we're surrounded by a whole lot of stuff. COVID-19, we're surrounded by political disarray, we're, 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 we're uh, surrounded by um, race issues and struggles. And, and, and these are all realities in the world that we live in. But the, the problem with that or the reality of that is that this is exactly where we've taken ourselves. The more that we've become a culture that rejects God and rejects his ways and his truth, the more chaos erupts in the world around us because he's the God of order. And the reality of it is, is that I really don't know how to live. 
I really need to seek his directives. I need to trust and believe that he surrounds us. You see, we may feel like we're surrounded by a lot of chaos, but the reality of it is, is you're surrounded by God's power. You're surrounded by God's grace. You're surrounded by his goodness. You're surrounded by his love, you see, and it encompasses us as a mountain, not as a citadel. You see, a citadel starts to look like a prison, right? It starts to look like I have to live on the inside of a prison to keep everything away. But this mountain is this idea of just natural beauty, the reality of God and his power around us, the protection of his, of his, his love and his care to his people and to his church, you see. And, and it goes like this. Think about this time frame that we're talking about. It's from this time forth and forever, See, God is always trying to shift our perspective away from the temporal to, to get us to quit thinking that, that life is, has permanence here. The reality of it is, is we all know that it doesn't have permanence, that, that, that if we want to deal with what is true reality, we have to enter into the eternal. We have to enter into what's past here, what's beyond here, what's more than here. And you see, his love, his grace, his peace all of these things are the thing that are going to take us and move us into the next dimension even of existence. You see, it's from here now today, and it's forevermore. You see, what God is telling us is that we as God's people can live in a place of peace, not because the world around us offers peace, not because the world around us knows peace, but because he's the prince of peace, because he's the one who's came to bring peace into our lives, even amidst the chaos. You see, and, and so when we're steadfast, we're, we're, we're an expression of, of these things that God tells us in his word, things like endurance, things like long-suffering, things like understanding that this world is not my home, that I have a bigger perspective, that there's a bigger picture in my life. There's a greater calling and purpose on our lives than to live for the temporary things of this world. But unfortunately, we all are struggling with the idea of living here like it has some kind of permanence, even though we know in reality that we won't stay here. Verse 3. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. The idea of the scepter is the idea of rule and authority. It's the idea of power, right? And the promise here is that this will not be the rule of the land forever or always, that we have a, a hope to look forward to, a hope of a righteous kingdom, a hope of, of righteousness in the world, and a hope of goodness around us. You see, because we live in this place where we feel surrounded with just the negativity, but you know what? There's a lot of good things that are going on in the world around us too today. There's a lot of goodness that's happening in the world today. There's a lot of places where, where God's people are reaching out in love and doing these good things. And you see, the, the, the reality is it just feels like something is just coming against us and that we have no recourse to that. But see, God says that it's temporal, that those things will, will never last, that, that they won't last because they weren't made to last. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, it tells us this. It says, um, one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible, you probably heard it told to you like this. Somebody will experience great tragedy or struggle in their lives, and somebody will say, well, God will never give you more than you can handle, right? Heard that, right? 
out of context. Don't do that. Not nice. Not nice to tell somebody who's experiencing incredible struggle and suffering in their life that, oh man, God must think you're really tough. (laughs) God must think you're really tough and that you can handle it. And so therefore, he's a God who's up there just seeing what you can take and how much you can handle. You see, the context of this verse is temptation. He will allow no temptation that is greater than what you can handle. See, the verse says this. It says... um, It starts out by saying this, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So in other words, if you think you're spiritually strong, you're doing well, take heed, understand the reality, the potential for you to fall and to mess up. So we start by by understanding that we need to be spiritually fit to help somebody. But it says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Guess what? Good news. None of us here are struggling with things that are unique to us. You might feel like you're surrounded by something that is unique to you, and surely nobody else in this church is struggling with it. Well, let me tell you, as a pastor of the church, that we're pretty messed up here. I'm pretty messed up. We're all pretty messed. This isn't a place where we have just this gallery of saints. This is a hospital. And the reality of it is, is that we're messed up. And each and every one of us is working through this. But hopefully the thing that we're doing is we're continuing to trust in the Lord, believe that it's his goodness, his love that surrounds us. It's his grace that empowers us to begin to live a different life than what we've been living. His grace doesn't just cover sin. It does do that. But we can't leave it there. Unfortunately, in our culture, we've taken God's grace and we've just said it covers sin. I'm going to tell you God's grace empowers us. It empowers us to live differently, to live into the new creation that he's purchased us to be. But it goes on and it says, let anyone thinks that he stands, take heed lest he falls. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What a great thing. God says, I won't allow it to be so much that it just overwhelms you. But he's also saying, there's probably sin in your life that will overwhelm you. But he's saying this, and has anybody ever had any experience with this? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Have you ever been in a situation, you've been somewhere, and you heard that little voice that says, you should exit stage left now? You better take it. Because the promise is is that he will give us a way out, that this evil won't endure, it won't live in our land. It won't stay forever, that he is sovereign, that none of this is spiraling outside of God's control, his power, or his authority. You see, God's authority hasn't been usurped from him and taken away from him and is now in in, in the hands of the enemy. And now, no, it's never been in question who has all authority. God allows different things in our lives. He allows difficulties to come because the reality of your life and my life is that sometimes we don't change until it gets hard. We don't change until it gets difficult. God's job in our lives isn't just about keeping us comfortable, but he has said, I will preserve you. I will keep you in the midst of it. You see, and this idea of this rule and reign, the great thing about it, it doesn't matter what kind of leadership we sit under, they cannot control who's who's ruling and reigning in our own personal hearts, right? But those who turn aside, that that kind of shot up there. I wonder if I went a little bit. I must have got trigger happy. Um, 
that, that this was just a temporal thing, that, that God won't allow this forever. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 24, he also says, he says, look, um, th- there's a time that is coming that's unlike any other time. It's going to get, if we think it's hard now, it's going to get really hard at a certain point. But he says that he limited those days, otherwise even the elect might fall, it says, and nobody would be saved. But so, so God is at work in the midst of this, and we can trust and believe that regardless of what's happening on, on the outside of us, that we can have peace on the inside, that the rule and reign of Christ can be sovereign in our own personal lives regardless of what's going around us, that he will surround our lives like a mountain, and that when we trust in him, he will keep us steadfast in our direction and who we are and where we're headed. It shifts now. The the, the psalmist now shifts it um, to say this. He says, do good, O Lord, to those who are good. It's a prayer. And to those who are upright in their hearts. How do we do good and how are we good? And how are we upright in our hearts? The idea here is, 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 is where is your heart directed? What are you tuning with? What is your heart in tune with? See, prayer isn't meant to have God move over to where Tri's at and answer all of Tri's prayers. Prayer is actually to move Tri over to where God is and to have Tri tune his heart with God's. I was looking at some of the interesting things. I watched a YouTube video um, that, that was really cool, and it was on resonation of music, you know? See, and I believe that, that God created music, and he created music for worship. And there are tones and tunes, and there, there's interesting things about music that are very biblical in number, like there are seven major notes. If you include the minors, there's 12. You got two pretty biblical numbers there. If you want to make a major chord, it takes three notes to compose that. It's the idea of, of Trinity, and it's the idea of resonance. See, Genesis 1-3 says that God spoke, and it all came into existence. And that we know in reality that every molecule, every atom is, is vibrating at a frequency, and there are, there are tones, and there is music that really opens up our soul to a message. It resonates with God. And, and so music, all music, has a, it has a source of worship. It, it has something that it's glorifying, something, something that it is, it is lifting up, really, in worship. All too often, music lifts up things that really don't bless us. But music is kind of a, I believe it's a, it's a path inside to, for worship and for um, a message. And so, so I watched this YouTube video. It was really cool. They took a guitar and they just recorded it. They strummed each string on the guitar, and then they took speakers, and they put the guitar on top of those speakers, and then they played that recording back. And, and when they hit each one, the, the strings started to vibrate because it was tuned to that very frequent. It was tuned. It was, it was so in tuned that the natural thing for it to do was to resonate with that with that note. So, so when we tune ourselves in to God and who, who he is and to his plans and purposes in the world, when our heart begins to resonate with his voice, then this is what God wants to do. He'll do good to those 
uh, who do good and those who are upright in their hearts. You see, the only hope for being good or upright in our hearts is to be tuned to his heart. My heart doesn't have it. And then it goes on, verse 5, but those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. What a scary thing. And what a thing in the church that we don't want to talk about. We don't want to talk about the reality of judgment, the reality that this God is holy and righteous. And because of that, he cannot agree with what is wrong. He he can't just be okay with it. He can't sweep it under the carpet. And the reason that he can't do that is because being in agreement with it would shape his character in a negative way. The, The amazing thing about God is that he's provided this way to where we can be right, and he did it all. And we're gonna talk about that in just a minute. But I want, I, wanna, I wanna talk about this just for a second because I think that this is a warning to those who go to church. Matthew 7, 21 is very clear that Jesus says, I tell you the truth in those days that many will come to me and they will say, but Lord, Lord. See, they'll call him Lord. They'll say, I'm calling you Lord. And they'll say, did we not in your name cast out many demons and prophesy and do all of this religious stuff? Did we not come to church every Sunday? Did we not read our Bibles regularly? Did we not do these different things? And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, I will tell them in that day away from me. I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. You call me Lord, but I wasn't really Lord. I wasn't really in relationship with you. You and I weren't really, we weren't made right together. Actually, everything that you did was a pursuit of your own self-righteousness. Everything, every good work that you did was just an extension of your selfishness. Because what do we want to do? We want to look good on our own. We want to look good. So God is telling us, Jesus is very plain in saying there's so many in the church that, 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 that are going to be surprised one day. And I don't say that to like throw out a bunch of fear, but we've got to check. I, you know, if I ever hear somebody that says I was born and raised a Christian, I'm always like, ooh, because you've got to be born again a Christian. Nobody's born and raised a Christian. You've got to be born again a Christian. You have to have a, a, your own relationship to Jesus. It's, it, it, it's not something that we inherit. God has children, not grandchildren. And we're either a child of his, we've either entered in and been adopted into his family, or we haven't. And finally, the psalmist ends it by saying, peace be upon Israel. And the word there is shalom. And, and, and shalom is a, it, it means peace on you. And it's a greeting, and it's also a farewell to the Jewish people. But, but it's a very complex thing. As a matter of fact, the idea of shalom peace is a, is a, is a picture of completeness. It, it's a very holistic idea of peace. It's not just the absence of conflict, but it's the resolution of conflict. It's, it's a bigger picture. It's a, it's a spiritual, it's a financial even, it's a, it's a health-wise. It's, this shalom is an all-encompassing kind of a peace. And, and it's a peace that requires some work. It's a peace that we actually would participate in. It's not the kind of peace where we would just be people who, who step back out of a conflict and just kind of let it be. We would be people who are bringing shalom, we would be bringing completeness back to the relationship. This is why God had orders for the people of Israel, like, hey, if your cow jumps the fence and 
tears up a bunch of stuff in the neighbor's place and eats a bunch of their grass or what? You've you got to pay them for that. You've, you've got to restore that relationship back to what's right. You have to make amends in this. It's the great thing about the 12-step program is that there's a, there's a recognition of a reality of wholeness that needs to happen, that we, A, first need to step into reality and reckon with who we've been and what we've done, but we need to make the, the, the we got to go through the process of bringing wholeness back to this, and that looks like making amends to people. It looks like talking to people. It looks like restoring relationships in those places that we're supposed to. You see, Jesus called us to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. We're not supposed to be between these and this, and hey, guys, easy, whoa, now, hey, hey, take it easy, huh? You know, come, none, of, none of that. We're, we're supposed to be peacemakers. We're supposed to be actively involved in a peacemaking process with the world around us. And the reason for that is because of who we serve, right? Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6, right? When it's prophesies of, of Jesus and his entrance into the world of men and history, it, it, says, it says this, it says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, he's come to, to make peace with us, Jesus' purpose was to come and to bring that shalom peace to, to rebuild all of the blocks that needed to be in place that had gotten wrecked when we fell. When we chose disobedience against God and we, we went our own way, Jesus came to bring this shalom peace to us. There are some, some really cool things about that. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, it talks about this, and it, it says that it calls him the, the, the second Adam. Verse 12, chapter 5 of Romans says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who, whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus came to, to not just reconcile just us, but he came to rebuild the whole situation. He, he came to meet every place where we fell short and fill the gaps in for us. Where we were sinful, he was perfect. Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. Um, it says this in, um, in Colossians, in Colossians 1.20. Um, it says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace 
by the blood of his cross. In Philippians, it says that he was obedient even to the point of death, even death upon a cross or a tree. You see where Adam had been disobedient before a tree. One command, don't do it. Don't eat of the fruit of this tree. He chose disobedience. Jesus revisited the whole situation before the tree, but where Adam's disobedience had reigned, Christ's obedience to the point of death, even death upon a cross or a tree. You see, it was that obedience. It was that humility. It was that reconciliation of the whole situation that has brought us back to the possibility of having peace with God. You see, where where Israel had wandered in the desert 40 years, not ever really getting it right, Jesus went to be tempted 40 days and did it right in our place. You see, he didn't just go to the cross. He went to the whole situation. He redeemed everything about it so that we might so that he might become that substitute for us, so that he might bring that shalom peace, that prince of peace aspect to this that we so need. He rebuilt what was broken so that the relationship could be restored. And maybe that's where you sit this morning. The first place in this journey, the first reality that we have to come to is our relationship to God. Where do we sit before God? Has our, has our relationship been restored? Maybe you've sat at church for a long time, but you've never really done business with Jesus. You see, what, we, what he calls us to do is to enter into a place of reality to admit the reality of who we've been, to get out of the concept in our mind of who we think we are and get into the reality of, of who we've been in our past. And, and when we do that, we open up a channel of healing because we've moved out of denial and into reality. And when we move into reality, it allows us to, to it allows Jesus to, to begin to, to fill in those spots, to, to place us in those spots that, that, he, would, uh, that he wants to fix that, that need restoration in our lives. You see, we, we then come to believe that, that he is who he says he is, that he's God incarnate, that he's God who's come to fix the problem between us, that he comes to offer us abundant life, eternal life, and that he's come to substitute his life for yours or mine so that we can be right before a holy and righteous God. That's the gospel. That's the, that's the good news. And then what do we do? We place our trust totally in him. You know, it, it's not a poker table kind of a thing where we're going to hedge our bets we're going to put a couple chips over here and put a couple chips over here, a couple over here, a couple. No, you take all the chips and you put them on Jesus and you say, let them ride. That's what it is to trust him. That's what it is to, to look to him. That's what it is to be encapsulated by, by his power, by his love, by who he is. You see, then the idea is that his people would emulate his life his shalom peace into our own homes. We would infuse that into our own homes. We would begin to live out the gospel in our communities. We would be peacemakers. We would recognize the reality of where we've been wrong, and we would be willing to go and do the hard work of restitution and amends. 
we would be willing to, to just try to get right anywhere we've been wrong, anywhere that we've seen that we wouldn't just be waiting for it to happen, but that we would truly be pursuing it as peacemakers. You see, God didn't stay in heaven and just wait on things to work out. He came as a peacemaker. He came to make a way so that we could have a relationship with him. And then as his people, he has given us, it says, a ministry of reconciliation. That our job as believers and our job as the church isn't to come against everybody out there. We're against you and I'm against you. and I'm against. We've done way too good a job of that. We need to begin to speak. We, we have got to speak. It is time for the church to stand up and to speak. It's time for you to live this out in your life and in your workplace and to begin to speak about the love and the goodness and the hope that's in a relationship to Jesus. To begin even to do the work of reconciliation where we need to do that and that we, need to, we really need to lead the way on this because the hope, the only hope, is trust in Christ. I'm going to tell you, we aren't going to, no political party saving us out of this. Science ain't saving us out of this. The media sure isn't. Um, it's the gospel. It's that gospel message. It's, it's, the, it's the ministry of reconciliation that God's people have been given to take out into the world around us. You see, we have that understanding, that hope. We have a place to go to to say, God says that this is true. God says that this is where people flourish. God says this is the best plan, not just for me, but for all of us. And we've got to begin to speak. We've got to stand up and be the church. We've got to begin to speak so that they know. And we can't just come against everybody. We've got to recognize that God made us a new creation that we started from a place way east of Eden, right? And that he's reconciled us to himself. And because he's reconciled his people to himself, our job is to carry that message of reconciliation out the doors. Not just to come to church, not just to read our Bible. Those are good things. Let's keep doing that. But let's go. Let's go out the doors. And you see, this message and this thing, it's not, just, it's not a job for me to do. Like, I think sometimes that's what we do. We, we go to church and we think that church is a sermon or that it's a building, and it's not. Church is God's people. God's people using their influence in the world around them to bring his kingdom into individual hearts and lives. First, living it out in our own lives and then taking the ministry of reconciliation that has been given to us and offering it to a world that so needs it right now. We are so lost and so broken, and a big part of that is because the church, we haven't, we haven't talked about this like we should. We haven't brought it up. We haven't, we, we, we've been kind of maybe a little bit comfortable, and I'm not just talking about us. I'm talking about the bigger church. We've been too comfortable too long. We've let people live in, 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 in false beliefs and de deception and pain and struggles and addiction and all of those kinds of things just far too long. We need to offer hope. We can't change people. We have to recognize that it's not, it's not your job to change people. It's the Holy Spirit's job to change people. But the Holy Spirit abides in you, his people. And as we go out, we take the church outside of these doors and we begin to share hope. 
And that's how we change the world. Too long we've been trying to do it by coming against. And that's not going to change anything. That's going to just inflame everything. We need to come beside, and we need to offer hope. And the day that you and I quit believing in a new creation, you see, that's the promise. The promise is, is that when we come into right relationship with God, that we're made new, that we're a new creation, that, that we've been born again, that the Spirit of God now lives and abides in us. And, and, and what we were falling for, what, what sin was mastering us and, and, and enslaving us, and, and, and we were living in that place, we, we, have the, we have His grace to empower us to live differently, to be a whole new creation and a new person. And the day that I quit believing that, I'm just going to the mountain on Sundays, okay? Because that's the power of the gospel is that it changes lives, it changes hearts, it changed mine. I hope it's changing yours. So let's just be that church. Let's pray together. Let's ask that God would rule and reign in our hearts and our minds first and foremost. Lord, we just ask that you would forgive us and restore us, Lord. We just would admit that we've been too quiet, too silent, too long, that where there are opportunities to, to share the hope that's in you, Lord, we've, we've been quiet. And we haven't done a good job, Lord, of, of telling the world what good things we're for, that we're for solid marriages, that we're for solid families, that we're for the nuclear family, that we're for the flourishing of all people, that we believe that you are a God who loves the whole world and did what you did so that everyone could have the possibility of a relationship with you. And then you gave us that job, Lord, to, to take that word out into the world. And Lord, we just, uh, we pray that you help us with that. It's just not an easy task. And we've, we've struggled with that for, for too long. But, but Lord, we see ourselves living in a season that would really necessitate that we, we wake up that we begin to, to realize the high calling that's on the church. And, and Lord, help us to love well. Help us to, 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 when we see the broken, Lord, help us to, to not uh, dislike them or, or hate them or, or have just heal us up from any of that. Lord, help us to, to see them as, you're, as created by you, created in your very image, that they're an image bearer of you. And, and therefore, they have great value and they have great worth. They have infinite worth and value. And Lord, help us that we would be agents of love, that we would express the love that you've expressed to us, to the world around us. The Lord, that we wouldn't have our own message or our own agenda, but that we would recognize the reality of what we need to have happen is exactly what you said, that we should pray for that your kingdom would come. Lord, may your kingdom come against us, Lord, and may it rule and reign in our hearts and minds first. And Lord, then one heart at a time, Lord, one opportunity at a time, Lord, may we grow your church. May we be quick to share the hope that we have found in you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.